Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. tournament for basketball and the night before i left i was in hershey pennsylvania filling in for the philadelphia flyers echl affiliate and then the next day i was supposed to be in reading for the flyers ahl affiliate so a lot of the stuff was supposed to happen in a span of a week but in a span of a week i was on five flights in a span of a day and a half Packed up my stuff, went on two more flights, and uh, the flights were expected, but being back home in mid-March was something no one could have ever expected from me. So it's just essentially been going with the flow and trying to find things to keep you busy during this time where there's no sports, and for us, there's yeah. no work done. So what's that like these past five months in Alaska? I mean, I know you've like bounced around to several different leagues out there, but like now, what's there to do? Well, there isn't really a lot to do, and you hit it on the nail. When you're in Alaska, there are only a couple things you can do. Um, as you can tell, I'm wearing my uh, University of Alaska Anchorage 40th anniversary nice. hockey shirt on right now. Uh, unfortunate news for UAA that they're cutting hockey after next year because of financial reasons, but... Um, in the winter in January, I filled in for UAA. I had done UAA hockey my senior year of high school. I did a couple of games in January, did a game for basketball before I left. The day I actually left to go back to school at Indiana University for my spring semester, uh, outside of UAA, there's not a lot of stuff to do. There's high school basketball that goes along. There's some collegiate baseball in the summer, but with COVID-19 across the country, there are only a couple leagues that we're playing this year. The yeah. Texas Collegiate League is one that I know jumps off. The Northwoods League is still playing, which is in the Midwest. The Cape Cod League and the Alaska Baseball League, which our good friend Caleb Dwart was uh, working in a couple years ago. They were uh, quick to call off their seasons. But uh, my work uh, this year, Jack, in the summer revolved around eight high school American Legion baseball games. To give you some context, the last five summers I had done games in the Alaska League, and I averaged maybe eight to nine games a week. I did eight games over the span of five months. So I'm just trying, trying to find work. Whenever work comes along, take what you can get. But it's just been essentially trying to do some side jobs to make money. And knowing that the student loans are paying back in uh, full amount starting in January, it's just essentially trying to batten down the hatches. Oh, yeah, I, I totally feel you. I was supposed to be in San Luis Obispo in the uh, California Collegiate League this summer. Yep. And that got axed. And you, I think you hit it right on the nail. I think uh, some of the teams in the Coastal Plain League I saw, I know the Savannah Bananas were trying to do everything that they could to. Bananas do everything that yeah. they can possibly I, do. Yes. I, I mean, Jesse Cole is just the definition of a visionary, I think. Like, he's very eccentric in a way that he does things but at the same time like he was able to pull it off like this was probably one of the more successful seasons i don't know if you were following along to any of it but we had a few gcu guys on their team this year and it was just it went out went off without a hunch like i don't think they had any big COVID outbreaks except for maybe like the first few weeks well i'll tell you what uh coach stankowitz has put together a heck of a program yeah. there are a lot of guys who always played out and balled out in the alaska league a few guys I can think of off the top of my head, Kona Quiggle, Quinn Cotton, a couple guys that even though there were a few years down the line away, they're just a couple guys that immediately pop out as those guys were ballers. So Stankwitz has done a good job making the adjustment to Division One full-time. It's It's been amazing to watch, and I'm excited to see where Grand Canyon goes with their program over the next couple of years. I'm very excited as well. I, I, I'm shocked that you knew. I know a lot more guys, just two off the top of your head, than I probably know from uh, Indiana. You graduated from Indiana, right? Yeah, I graduated from Indiana University in May. Well, I graduated from my bed from Indiana University because of Indiana University going online, like most schools did, if not every school. So... I earned my degree the way that a lot of people do when they have jobs, which 
we don't have because we're in sports, but in PJs, some T-shirts, and uh, computers. So I finished in May. Uh, I had a couple routes I would have taken if this was an ideal world. So in January, I had agreed the principal terms with the Boston Red Sox A-ball affiliate and was in terms and conversations with the San Diego Padres AA affiliate in Amarillo, the Sod Poodles, to be the number two broadcaster and the media relations assistant. I had those talks in order, along with a couple things with Learfield IMG College in the collegiate broadcast world yeah. for when baseball were to end in the fall. I had those in store, but with COVID hitting, it was essentially a scramble to see what I could do to try to earn some money. And at this point in mid-August, I, along with a lot of my other colleagues and a lot of my other friends from looking around what they're going to do. I mean, for you guys, obviously, as seniors, you can hear me? All right, we're good. Uh, this is Zoom, man. We're like on two totally different ends of the spectrum right now. We'll see if, if the connection yeah, we're good. sticks. Um, for you as a senior, did you really... <laughs> Did you really care yes, that much are. that um, like COVID went down the way that it did, like in a sense of graduating, uh, like you said, graduated from your couch, which to me, like if I were a senior, I was a junior, so I guess I can't really relate. But for you guys as seniors, graduating off the couch obviously isn't the ideal situation. You just mentioned some of the things that you had lined up after graduation. Was it a big deal to you not graduating with your friends and classmates? You know what, Jack, this is something that I've thought about for a while. I've gone back and forth on it for the last couple of months since I graduated in May. The more I think about it, the more I miss my actual games that I lost out on than I do actually graduating. Because over the course of four years of college, three at Indiana University, one at Syracuse in upstate New York my freshman year, my time was spent doing three things, going to class, prepping for games, and actually calling games. My count for broadcasts this year, which my last broadcast was March 4th, Indiana and Minnesota basketball. I was at, I was at the Giant Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania, getting ready for Hershey Bears and Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins hockey. Three hours before puck drop, they called the game. They called the suspension of the season before ultimately canceling the season. My broadcast count this year sat at 92 with about 26 more games remaining between March 13th and April 28th. So there was a lot of stuff that was still in the works and stuff I could have used to use as ultimately demo material, other stuff I could have worked on and listened back to before I graduated. So when I look back at my college experience, it wasn't the ideal experience that most college students would think of. You think of college as a place where you can do new things, where you can meet new people, party, have a chance to really explore yourself. Well, I knew what I wanted to do from the point I was maybe five years old. I'd call games from a television on mute into a tape recorder. And in high school, when I got my first break, calling games for local radio stations, as I mentioned, the University of Alaska Anchorage for the Division One hockey program, Rich. By the way, as a 22-year-old now, I still wonder why they let a 17-year-old on air at that point. Uh, I'll have to uh, talk to Greg Mikeford, who's the current UAA Athletics Director, when we uh, meet again down the road. But I've always wanted to go into sports, and I've always wanted to go into media. And when you apply one plus one, it equals something that I've been very blessed to have been able to pursue and something that I've always wanted to chase after. And when I got to college, I didn't think I'd have much of a chance to actually do what I've been able to do. And if you were to ask me four years ago, it's about this time when I first stepped on SU's campus that I'd be able to do as much as I was able to do in the amount of time I did it. I'd be like, you're kidding me, right? Yeah. This has to be some sort of the prank. Is, is someone standing behind a bush or something? Is this an impractical joke or something? But um, over the course of four years, I've been very blessed to have gotten the amount of chances I've been able to get. So when I think about what could have been in mid-March when everything got canceled, everything got postponed, and everything changed for the worse rather than the better, I think of all the chances I would have calling games I wouldn't have been able to get if things weren't the way they were. And when I think about the people that I worked with, those are the memories I'm going to be taking away the most because the people that you think about when you work in a broadcast, whether it be 
not just your color analysts, but the production, the truck, the producers, the generators, uh, some of the SIDs that you talk to in and out, the media relations directors. Those are some of the people that I feel like to this point I have the best working relationships with, but it goes with the flow and uh, you can only think about it for so long once it's in the past. So now all you can do is look toward the future and hopefully the old normal becomes the newer normal again once yeah. a vaccine is produced and once sports gets back into the swing of things. So that's when you got your start when you were 17 years old. So you I, I got my official start when I was 17 years old. Wow. I've been doing games as a public address announcer or doing local high school games for a web stream, but I officially count my start when I got my chance with the University of Alaska Anchorage because that was my first big get. That was my first big opportunity. So I always say, well, I unofficially started at 14. Yeah, I started doing games at 14, but I say my career. When I say career and when I say my broadcasting, I mean my career started at 17 when I realized, all right, well, if they're going to pay a 17-year-old to call games, I might as well just start calling it a career now. So I always say I started officially calling games at 14, but my official career began at 17. So at the University of Alaska, when you got that first big break with uh, when you were 17 years old, you mentioned that you really haven't had a conversation with Mike about why he gave you the chance. Why do you think he gave you the chance? Was it more of just how ambitious you were at the times against well, the 14? It, this is something that I know isn't going to happen to a lot of people. And when yeah. you put your same name in the conversations and the aura of Bob Costas, yeah. you're going to feel a little bit inflated, but, and that's not exactly what I'm trying to do. Bob graduated from SU. I went a year at SU, but similar to Bob, he got his start calling uh, Syracuse hockey back in the uh, old IHL in the 70s with the basketball tape since he had no hockey experience. I had hockey experience, but uh, my senior year at Diamond High School, I had been informed by my athletics director that there was an internship for the Alaska shootout, the great Alaska shootout, which is no longer in progress for a couple reasons. The Alaska state budget isn't as strong as it used to be. And obviously with COVID, it wouldn't have happened anyway if it would have been a running thing this year. But a sports information internship was on the docket and I'm thinking, all right, well, it's a way for me to do a couple more things on my Friday and Saturday night. I get there, I hear the description of the internship was essentially, you sit down in this corner, the SID prints out some stats and you run it over toward the broadcast crews. I'm thinking to myself, this is what I signed up for. I, right. I, I'm thinking, are you, this, this has to be a dream right now, right? Am I dreaming about something? Is this some sort of inverted nightmare that I'm living in right now? So I do the first game. It's UAA and Western Kentucky. I go hand out the stat sheets and I notice something. The, WKU broadcaster, Bob Norse, who is now with uh, Northern Kentucky, wasn't there. And I'm thinking to myself, I have a spare stat sheet with me. With technology the way it is now, I have a voice recorder on my cell phone. I'm in a corner where I'm not going to be able to bother anybody. I'd be stupid if I didn't try to record some demo tapes while I was here. So that's what I did. There'd be media timeouts, and in between the timeouts, I'd be calling segments of the game into my phone until I'd had to jump off, hand off some stats, go back to my spot, do it again as if we were coming back and forth from a media timeout and a commercial break. So I'm doing this over the course of a four-day span, and then for the women's bracket in the championship game, it was Alaska Anchorage against Western Kentucky, and we were approaching halftime, and the last media timeout before half, I get approached by Dallas Baldwin, who is the former UAA Associate Media Relations Director, and at that time was the main media head for UAA hockey. Yeah. And I do a mock commercial break, sense the break, four minutes left, UAA's up 42 to 41 on CBS Sports Radio 590 KHAR, which one of my good friends had brought me on for high school football. So I get a tap on my shoulder, and the first thought is like, oh, crap, I'm probably annoying somebody who's trying to watch the game, but here's some 17-year-old just talking his head off. I turn around, and I see this blonde woman in a UAA pullover, and she asks, are you one of our sports information interns? I say, yeah, I'm Casey Roll. Nice to meet you. Oh, Dallas Baldwin, nice to meet you. 
uh, is this what you want to do, play-by-play? Play? I said, yeah, this is what I've wanted to do for a while. And she asks, and why are you doing a sports information internship? And I'm thinking, well, my, my athletics director at Diamond High School told me it'd be something fun to do, so I thought I'd do it. And with the resources I have at my disposal, I thought I'd try to do some things to sharpen the craft. So she asked at that point, do you only do basketball? Do you do other sports as well? And so I started rattling off the sports. Well, I just finished my hockey um, not hockey, but I just finished my football season. I'm doing volleyball right now, basketball, baseball. And as soon as I was about to get to hockey, she says, well, Kurt Heider, our longtime broadcaster, just accepted a job with the now defunct Alaska Aces, which were in the ECHL. He was there for two years. I filled in for Kurt again this January. He took a job with the Aces, so we're looking for a number two uh, David Tuttle just started a couple weeks ago, and we're currently trying out people for the number two job. Would you be interested in doing it? And I'm, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I was trying not to sound like the fanboy that you meet when you see somebody that you've been idolizing for a while. I was trying not to sound like that guy. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, totally. Let me sign up for that. In my uh, mind, I was thinking that, but in the physical world and the physical reality. I'm like, yeah, that sounds really good. Let me give you my contact information. So I get back home and there are two thoughts on my head. One, did this really happen? And two, I'm not dreaming now, right? Is this some sort of the part of the inverted nightmare where there's actually something good that comes out of it? Or is this still a nightmare in which they cruelly dismused me by uh, having me have something that would possibly be cool, but only to be awoken by it was a dream. It wasn't a dream, thank God. I had my interview, I had my trial session, and six months later, after a five-win UAA season, uh, I finished my first year with Division I athletics, which was funny because little would I know it would lead up to something which would cause more opportunities to happen at Division I level and other opportunities that I would have never, ever seen coming at a 17-year-old. Oh, my God. I mean, that's an incredible story right there. I mean, that's how it's done. I mean, that's uh, sitting there uh, recording your own demo tape at the game. That's how it's done. I mean, you got your foot in the door as the sports information director at the get-go. What was your first actual, like, gig when you started? You said you started when you were 14. I saw on your LinkedIn page because, you know, I was just naturally stalking your uh, LinkedIn page, and I saw that you worked for CBS Sports as kind of a reporter for football, right? Well, my first official gig was actually in news, which is funny now because I can't even imagine doing news. I did news as a top and bottom of the hour news update anchor. My first sports opportunity came working with KHAR as a sideline reporter. And when you look at sideline on TV, it's completely different on radio. On TV, you can have the reporter talk a couple plays ahead of the actual action because TV is a visual medium. You can see what's going on. You don't have to describe everything. But in radio, you have maybe 20 seconds from when the broadcast booth sends it down to the field. And it's not like you're going to give an actual sideline hit. You're just going to give an update. What's going on on the benches? What are the coaches talking about? What's going on in between plays? So it got me used to adapting on the fly. Um, One thing I noticed when I got to college from people who might not have had as much experience or people who are just starting out, they like to write out their notes and their sideline hits. They want to memorize them so that way they don't stumble over their words. They're not trying to find words to use whenever they're on air, but the best are able to do it off the cuff. And that's something that I got used to at 14, working off the cuff, working off the tip of my tongue because when you get into the industry and whether it's stock radio, play-by-play, studio hosting, you're, there are very rare amounts of times where you actually go off of a script and when you go off the cuff. So when you go off the cuff, it just sounds more natural. There's a difference between going off a teleprompter and reading off a piece of paper and then the inflections that you get when you're going off the cuff. So those are two very different things. And that's one thing that really helped me get a base and a foundation set for what was to come at the early onset stages. And in that sense, you've gotten experience in all these different things, broadcasting, being an anchor, being a reporter. How different are they when it comes to your prep style? And you kind of just mentioned going off the cuff in a sense. How, how different are those three different elements? Well, I say it in these three things. I 
in the terms of the sports world, there are three tiers. There are conversations, there are analyzations, and then there are observations. Those are the three things that I say. Conversations are typically when you're on sports talk radio. When you have an anchor, it's a conversation. You don't want to go into the numbers. You don't want to overbear people with information that they're going to forget in the next day. With talk radio, it's a conversation. You have to be, well, not just talk radio, but with play-by-play -play as well. You have to appeal and you have to relate to the audience. No one's going to relate. If you and I are sports fans watching a game, Let's say we're average college students living off of, let's say, ramen noodles and $20 a week. We, you and I aren't going to relate to some trust fund kid or some guy who makes a million dollars a year talking about what millionaires do. You have to be relatable, and that's what you have to do in all three facets. Sports talk more specifically because you're holding a conversation instead of trying to something at the moment. When you're on sidelines, you're analyzing what's going on. You're telling people that aren't on the field and can't be in between the lines what you're hearing, what some, teach, uh, what some coaches are audibling to, and stuff like that. You're asking the questions that the people up in the booth can't ask because they're up in the booth. And then there's observations. You and I aren't going to be color analysts simply because in the modern-day age we're in, those go to either former coaches right. or former players but for my play podcasters there's observations in radio or tv for tv you're going basically on captions you're captioning broadcast there's already 90 percent of the work that's done for you with the tv side because you can see what's going on you're just captioning the broadcast with radio you're painting the picture you're observing what you see and then you're giving it to the people who are listening to your call what's going on what's What's going on here? There's a difference between observing uh, Johnson left arm catch and shoot three. He hits 25-22. Indiana leads Purdue. There's a difference between that and Johnson catches high on the left side, the triple threat, waist tightly handled, step triple over the outstretched defender, nothing but net over the seven-footer out of Slovenia, 25-22. Indiana, just over seven minutes to go in a sold-out assembly, assembly hall. That It doesn't sound like a lot, but the thing that I've been able to realize over the years and something that the great Marty Glickman at Syracuse used to say, two things that you should always consider whenever you're doing games, consider the listener what they want to hear, and less is more. If you ramble on and on and on about stuff that you see in a play-by-play -play broadcast, people can get lost in the words that you use. Right. So when you call a game and say, for example, uh, let's say we're in the NFL and you and I are calling Chiefs and Patriots. Let's say Mahomes in a shotgun takes a snap. Mahomes running left. Mahomes looking down the field. Mahomes throwing. Hill on the run. Hill makes the catch. Hill out of bounds at a 25, a gain of 30. That's a first down. If you're on TV, this applies more than radio because, as I said, you can see the screen, you can see the play going on. So when you compare that call to, say, Mahomes, under pressure on the run, looking hill, makes the catch. You, you caption what's going on. You preview, in a sense, what could happen, and then you finish it off by what happened. So there's a difference between going on and trying to show, oh, look what I can say in this amount of time and actually using an economical amount of words. Because if you're doing a full season of, say, baseball or hockey, you're going to have those days where your voice is shot because you're either overusing your voice or you're overemphasizing. So at times, less is more. And it comes with time and it comes with experience. But when you really get used to using the less is more, it shows in your broadcasts and it really does make a difference. Now, it sounds like you've been, obviously, you said you wanted to broadcast since you were five years old, and you've obviously been studying your own craft for many years now. How quickly were you able to adapt to that? How quickly were you able to learn uh, what you just explained there? Well, it's, it's, a learning, it's a learning curve, definitely, but our industry is a give-and-take type of thing. So when I was, I want to say, pre- career not pre-broadcast but pre-career 
I try to watch every game I can simply because I'm a football fan. I want to watch Tom Brady and Peyton Manning play. I want to watch them play. But as you'll go along in, in life and you, if you get this uh, feeling as well as I did uh, going up through college, when you watch games, you don't watch the actual game anymore. At least I don't. I observe what the other broadcast crew is doing. I rarely watch the game for itself nowadays. I watch with a pen and a pencil. What did Tom uh, Brenneman and what did Joe Buck do on this call that I wouldn't have done? And, oh, look at that. What did Doc Emmerich just use to describe a dumping instead of just saying dumping flips? What's, what's that? Oh, I could use that in my next broadcast. It's a... It's right. a give-and-take type of relationship in broadcasting. For me, I listen to my tapes as soon as I'm done with my broadcast. I go back and do my prep, which, by the way, when it comes to prepping now for me, I know what to look for. I don't try to overload on numbers. I don't really care about a lot of uh, miscellaneous tidbits. The only things that really matter for prep, if something that's going to catch the eye of the observer after the game is over. So let's say we're doing a TV broadcast and we're telling a story about uh, Jason Tatum wearing some shoes that he got from a six-year-old kid who was diagnosed with cancer a week ago. You're going to remember that more than you're going to remember. Oh, this is Tatum's sixth consecutive game with 20 points on at least five of five shooting from deep. No one's going to remember that after a game is over. You want to try to tell things to people that they won't know unless you tell them because we're journalists. And it's interesting because a lot of people don't exactly consider broadcasters journalists, but we're journalists. We're telling people what they can't see. We're telling them information they wouldn't know. And we're delivering accurate and descriptive descriptors of what the game is. So if that's not journalism, I don't know what it is. But uh just quickly uh, meandering back to watching games again, I never watch games without taking notes and then applying those notes to when I could go on air next and if that would fit my style of broadcasting. Right, and you, uh, just to go back to what you said about, you know, the Tom Brennamans and the Joe Bucks, kind of like that give-and-take aspect. Well, Tom uh, Brennaman would be a poor example now, given what happened over the last 24 hours, but the guys who are at the network level, the guys who get the big bucks, the guys who are getting steaks every night for dinner instead of having to go on uh, minor league road trips on PB&Js. Hey, that's a good, that's a good analogy right there. But uh, from that aspect, who were some of your like mentors or idols growing up in broadcasting? Well, Jack, I got very, very, very good fortune growing up because the Alaska Aces in the ECHL won a couple Kelly Cups. They have the most Kelly Cups in league history, even though they've been out of the league for the past couple of years. Two of their last four broadcasters, and the Aces have the distinction of being the only ECHL franchise to have two broadcasters go straight from the ECHL to the NHL. Jack Michaels, who's currently in his 10th season, with the Edmonton Oilers, was with the East in the early 2000s. Josh Bogorod, who's now with the Dallas Stars, finishing up his second season with the program. He and Jack were two guys that I quickly latched on to at an early age, which was funny because that was before I really started calling games. I had known Jack before I called games at 14. Josh was early on in my broadcast career when I started calling high school games, so... I've stayed in contact with both of them, and I've been able to just pick their brains at times in their off-seasons. I send them tapes, ask them for their opinions. Do you hear of any openings that I could apply for, and do you know anything that could be a good fit? So I just always stay in touch because you never know where somebody's going to end up. You never know who's going to be where, and you don't know who's going to be in a spot to possibly hire you down the line. So those two were two guys that were – actual mentors that I learned from in terms of guys who I idolized growing up. You can't scoff at Doc Emmerich because you're either a hockey guy or you're not a hockey guy. Doc is the gold standard when it comes to hockey. Mike Breen, Ian Eagle, and the NBA are two guys that you want to try to emulate if not watch. Jim Nance just does everything well. There's a difference between doing everything and doing everything well 
And Jim is in that very rare boat where you can say you do everything well. So those are just some guys that pop off the top of my head, but it's always important to find people that you can learn from and adjust with because if you're not learning, then you're not gaining. If you're not gaining, you're falling behind. And the last thing that you want to do in the industry is fall behind because if you're falling behind, you're not advancing yourself. And if you don't advance yourself, then you're not going to get far. It's just like the old Jim Valvano saying, the 1983 NC State Wolfpack, survive and advance. Well, you're always trying to survive in broadcasting. Your entry-level jobs, the low incomes, which, by the way, if you didn't know already, your first job is probably going to not earn you as much money as, say, Joe Buck at Fox. But surviving is one thing. Advancing is the second thing that most people want to do, but very few people will actually do because they don't put in the effort to get better on their downtime. Oh, yeah. I mean, self-discipline is the key here in our, in our industry, in any industry, really. For you, uh, when you first got into broadcasting in general, whether it was when you were 14 reporting or whether it was 16 when you got your break at the University of Alaska, how shocking was it for you to realize, like, all your idols, like you just mentioned, like, all you can do, like, all you have to do is really shoot them an email and chances are they'll respond. I feel like the sports industry, like at least the sports broadcasting industry, like, I was, like, stunned to realize how, not simple or easy, but how nice everybody is going into it you know that that's what i was just about to say you realize that in our industry there's not a lot of content or malice toward a lot of people if you're a doctor or if you're someone who's going into a very competitive field usually it's doggy dog and every man for himself right. but our industry is very close-knit the guys at the top know how hard it is to get to the top and when they look at guys trying to get to where they are it's not as if they're thinking, oh, screw you. You want to get to where I want to be. I'm going to stay here, and you're going to stay down there. No, they know how hard it is to, uh, to advance and to get to that top spot. So they're very helping. Doc Emmerich has listened to a couple of my hockey tapes. A couple of NHL and NBA guys have listened to my tapes. So it's a very give and t It's not a give and take, but it's a give and give relationship. And my advice to you, my advice to any other people who are just starting college, just starting their careers. And I mean, I'm not a guy who's like 60 years in or at the top of my game. I'm still trying to get to that point. So it's not like I'm in a position where I'm saying, oh, well, Sonny, you go do that because I've been doing that. But my advice to anybody would just be pay it forward. Um, if someone gives you advice, the next person who asks you for advice the least you can do is try to give them your honest feedback. This year at Indiana, I had called club ice hockey games for three years simply because I wanted to get a full schedule of games under my docket, and I wanted to also have a broadcast director's uh, responsibility underneath me before I graduated. I mentored a younger kid, a freshman who's just getting into his sophomore year, a whole year, and I was thinking to myself, I wonder what my boss back in Alaska would think when he – Here's that I'm mentoring someone knowing that he took me underneath his wing for a couple yeah. of years. And now I'm doing the exact same as a 21 year old. So it's a, it's a give and give it's a pass it along, take one and then pass it along because you never know where someone's going to be. The kid you uh, mentor is probably someone that's might be in a hiring stage one day, or the person you reach out to could very well be the person that gives you a recommendation to get to where they are. So it's just, essentially give and give take one pass it along that's the best advice i can give someone outside of the actual analytics of the broadcasting world and at 21 years of age now post-grad from indiana do you still find yourself experimenting with your broadcast do you feel like oh, you found oh, your voice oh, already or do you still feel as if like you could go a different route if you don't experiment, then you don't realize what you could do. I know at this point I want to go into play-by-play. -play. Yeah. I'm not considering any other jobs. I want to go into play-by-play. -play. My dream is to be a network broadcaster calling multiple sports. I don't want to be stuck doing one sport because I want to be able to do it year-round. I want to have a year-round job because when your season ends, you're usually at your home doing who knows what, trying to kill time. I want to have a year-round job. I want to be a network guy who gets the big games because that's what you dream of when you want to go into the industry. You want to have the big broadcasts. You want to have the games that everybody's tuning into. And 
I want to work to try to get to that point. And in order to get to that point, I have to move forward. Like I said, if you don't move forward, you're moving backwards. So if you don't experiment with things that you think you could do better, then you're not really bettering yourself because you're staying in the same corner you're in. If you don't try new things, then you don't know what it's going to get you. Maybe you'll fail. Maybe you'll, you'll fall fat on your face. But if you don't try, you won't know. And if you don't know, then that's time that you've wasted. Have you tried anything like so unorthodox that you were like, man, that did not work at all? Well, Jack, my, uh, my broadcast rituals are ones that draw the chagrin and the ire of a lot of my colleagues and a lot of people I've worked with. But my game day ritual is the day before the game is the day I do my prep. I don't prep the day of the game. I stay in the zone today of the game. Another thing I do, which is the most inauspicuous thing that I think most people have come to realize, I don't eat 18 hours before the game. So let's say there's a 7 o'clock game for Indiana and Virginia basketball. I won't eat from 2 a.m. up until the time the game ends, simply because I want to have a clear mind, and a clear mind is what's going to get you your best results. And it's funny because at UAA, when I was 17, I used to eat like two cheeseburgers per game before each game. And I've come to realize when I don't have a full stomach and I'm working on an empty head, I seem to work better. And it's one of those weird things that just happens to a few amount of people, but you talk about experimenting. That was an experiment I got. And I, I, I went under in college, and it's just something that's worked. And my advice to college students, you're in a good spot right now because you're still in a time in your lives where you can experiment without having major repercussions of experimenting because you have that four-year, three-year, three-and-a-half-year security blanket of experimenting. So experiment all you can. Learn what you're good at. Idle, uh, focus in on what you want to do and also hone in on what you need to do to fix the things that you can be better at. Now, for you to go back to your experiment, was that planned for you to not eat? eat no, no, nothing really. No, not a lot of things are planned when you do things off the cuff. Um, it was just something I had thought of one day, and like, one day has turned into a few hundred broadcasts later, and it's still the same idea. Dude, I had a 24-ounce steak probably an hour before we hopped on Zoom, and I'm already angry. I, I couldn't imagine doing that. Well, I'll tell you what, Jack, with uh, being out of work for a few months, I've been loading up on the carbs and some of the food. So when I get back to the swing of things and when sports starts opening up again, it's, it's going to be a bit tougher to go that 18 hours without food, especially knowing how much I've been eating over this time. So how does that begin? I'm at home. Mom's home cooking. So I yeah, like, like how does that begin for you when you're first starting? Was it more of like an anxiety thing, just like wanting to be clear-minded, like you said, and then over time it just worked for you, so you stuck to it? No, it's not really much of an anxiety thing. It's more so a comfort thing. That's the most important thing. You have to be comfortable before you go on air for a broadcast. If you're not comfortable, the audience is going to tell you're not comfortable. If you're on edge about something, then the audience is going to be on edge about something. If you're not sure about what you're saying, then the audience is going to be unsure about you as a broadcaster. You have to go into everything feeling confident, feeling prepared, and feeling self-prepared and self, uh, self-confident in yourself. If you feel confident in yourself, then people that are listening are going to feel confident in what you have going for you. So on the topic of, you know, kind of trying to find your voice, trying to find things that work for you, we obviously saw what happened to Tom Brenneman last night, and we'll get to that in a second. But for you personally, in four years' worth of experience, I always enjoy broadcasters' takes on these because I've had them myself in three years in college. What do you think has been your biggest broadcast blunder that you can remember in your experience in college? It's not something that just didn't come out right. It's not so much a blunder, Jack, as it is just more so putting yourself out there. I, I always have a rule. The week before a game, I send my previous tape from my most recent game to my closest confidants. And that was something I started doing my sophomore year. The biggest blunder isn't most necessarily about what I said on air. 
It's about what I could have done to network and further advance my name among the circles than I did. So I'm not saying I didn't do that enough. I'm saying if you're in a position where you're not sure of where you stand, you're not sure of who you are as a caller, just send out your stuff. Get other people's right. input because five people's opinions are going to be more insightful than just your opinion because at times we're all guilty of it. I know I've been guilty of it. We have our own blinding goggles, meaning everything that we do is the best ever. No one can be better than us. Our stuff is the best that it can be. But when you get other people's opinions, you also get the other sets of ears that say, oh, this could be a bit better. Oh, that word sounds like it was a bit stumbled. Oh, I know a couple of people that'd be a good fit for your work. So it's just more so about getting your work out there. That was, I think, it wasn't necessarily a blunder, as I said, as much as it could have been something I could have done to maybe improve on a little bit. What do you think uh, Tom Brenneman can improve on moving forward? Do you think well, he has Tom a job after this year? Well, Jack, that's a sensitive topic simply because Tom is a gold standard in our industry. He, he does Major League Baseball, does NFL football. He's a network voice. There aren't many mainstay network voices. He's the number two at Fox behind the great Joe Buck, who I might have to point out is an Indiana University graduate. But Tom, Tom made a mistake that not very many of us can say we've made at his stage. Not all of us can say we've called Major League Baseball. We've had blunders on air. And we've had things that we've said that we wish we can take back. Nobody's perfect and nobody's going to make 100% of the correct answers at the 100% capacity of the time. So with Tom, it's, it's walking on light steps because if you put yourself in his shoes, you can imagine Tom's probably got some sort of sorrow and probably has some regrets about what he said. If that's who he is as a person, I don't know. I don't know Tom enough to make my own personal opinion on it, but none of us are perfect and none of us are going to make the correct choice 100% of the time. So it just depends on a perspective standpoint. If the Cincinnati Reds choose to fire Tom, if they want to bring him back on a, hey, you have to walk a very tight line type of deal, then that's their choice. But it's not in our place, and at least in my opinion, to make assessments on Tom, knowing that that could very well have been me in that spot letting something go at that time and what could i imagine people thinking about me simply based off of one mistake that could define who i am as a person when i don't want that or i don't want that to be associated with me as an individual as it is just as a mistake well that was like a near perfect answer i threw something very sensitive your way and you just absorbed it and that was honestly like the best takes anybody could ever have on that given that it was less than what 24 hours ago so nice job for you. Uh, you mentioned some of your role models. We mentioned the Brennemans, the Joe Bucks, Jim Nance. Were you, you were nominated for a Jim Nance award, weren't you with the uh, stat? Uh, yeah, I was. Um, so the Jim Nance award is an annual competition for college students, which encourages the pursuit of excellence for college right. broadcasters. Last year, last May, I was ranked 20th in the country out of all the college announcers. And being the first from Indiana and the first native Alaskan to be ranked, it was more so just the vindication for me because I always knew I could stack up with people that were my age and people in the industry because at that point, I had called American Hockey League games, which is just one tier below the NHL. I had called collegiate basketball and Division I sports. I knew I could stack up, but seeing people that I idolized, Alex Faust with the LA Kings, who made his NHL debut at 28, who's now a mentor of mine, who, uh, who currently listens to my stuff, who uh, frequently gives me advice, for him to send his input and for him to tell essentially myself that, hey, you're doing the right thing. You're doing something that not very many people can do. Keep doing what you're doing. It's more so vindication. So it gives you that push to be better. So for the last two years, I was ranked top 30 in the nation at doing essentially what I'm doing, calling games. And you know, the biggest thing is not letting it get to your head because the moment you let it get to your head is the moment that you become satisfied and 
content. And if you become content in what we want to do, that's a very sure sign that you're going to stop pushing and giving it your all. When you stop doing that, it takes away the edge and the competitive edge that the next person that's in line might have. And employers not only look at talent, but they look at desire and they look at compassion for the industry. And if you don't show that, then it's going to be a turnoff for someone who might be in a hiring stage. Interesting. So for you, and I should have asked you this earlier, but being from Alaska, being there from right now, what are some of your teams that you uh, cheered for growing up? Because you are a far ways away, my friend. The team who pays my paychecks. The team. That's a good answer. I'm going to write that one down. The team who signs my paycheck is the team that I am going to represent, the team that's going to be 100% of my, uh, my attention. That's my favorite team. So let's say I'm calling games for Indiana University, my alma mater now, which feels weird for me saying on our student radio station. That's me calling games as a student for our station. So I'm going to be an Indiana University fan. If I'm calling games for the University of Alaska Anchorage, I'm a UAA fan. I'm not going to like UAF. I'm not going to like Fairbanks. That's our main rival. I'm not going to like Fairbanks at all. I don't have any sort of bias to any other school, but UAA is my employer, and they're paying my checks, and they're making sure that I can put food on my table and that I can have a chance to call games. So they're going to be my team. They're my team. Uh, The team that pays my paychecks and lets me do what I love doing best in the world in calling games, that's going to be my favorite team. Interest. So growing up, who was one of your favorite teams? You're obviously a big hockey guy. Uh, I didn't really have favorite teams growing up, and it's kind of a dual-edged sword, too, because you don't have a favorite team growing up. You don't have a favorite team now. It's kind of like, dude, you got to pick it. You can't be pickers and choosers, right? But no, that was the case for me. I was always... I was always in the middle. I never had a team I really liked, and I never had a team I really didn't like. Well, that's a good thing because then you're following a bunch of other teams, and you don't really have, like, that biased opinion towards one team. Like, I grew up in Jersey. I grew up a huge Yankee fan, followed nothing but Yankees up until 15 or 16 when I realized when I wanted to get into this business, you know, you're going to have to you have to know everybody. You have to know all 30 MLB teams, all 32 NFL teams, and so on and so forth. For you in uh, broadcasting now, we mentioned four years now, post-grad from the University of Indiana, another shout-out. What do you think has been your most humbling job experience? You you mentioned uh, broadcasting, anchoring, sports reporting, SID. What do you think was the most demanding gig that you've had so far? Uh, Four years of calling collegiate summer baseball in the Alaska Baseball League, having that grind, 52 games in 56 days, uh, calling club ice hockey. And that's something else that I'm going to hold with me forever because at a division one school in the big 10, having called men's basketball at assembly hall, I was in arguably the Mecca of college basketball, a five-time national champion school, Bobby Knight's return to Indiana against Purdue. That was emotional for a lot of us. We weren't alive when most of his titles were run Uh, Most of us could barely remember what we did when he left Indiana in 2000. I was at a ice hockey rink just off the Indiana campus calling club hockey on my senior night. And for three years, I I called club hockey, worked on the SID skills to call games with absolutely no, you can't have less prep material than club ice hockey at the collegiate level. There's no such thing as less prep than doing that. Maybe Little League Baseball, but that's about it. Um, It was humbling for me because I could be in a 20,000-seated venue for Division I basketball. I could be calling AHL hockey, and then the next day I could be calling club hockey, but that's my own thing. That was my baby for three years, and to see where it went for three seasons to where it's at now at the point where I left. It's humbling to see that when you build something from the ground up and now everybody at school, when I first got to Indiana, maybe four people knew that the school had a club hockey team, that there was hockey at on you. Now, if you go to Indiana, step foot in the school, 
everybody there knows about the club ice hockey at Indiana University program. Everybody knows what they've been able to do over the course of three years. Every sense of media, every media outlet from TV, radio, print has had some sort of publication work with the program and through me. Because before I had done that, I never really had much work as an SID or a media relations person. And that's something you're going to notice when you go through the minor leagues. You're never going to be the play-by-play guy in itself. You'll have to wear multiple hats. You'll have to be the press release guy, the guy who writes the recaps, the guy who does the graphics, the media head who coordinates all the interviews. So having been able to do that for three years at a club hockey level has kind of prepared me for what's going to come if I choose to go the minor league route or if I end up going that route, which forces me to wear multiple hats. Now, do you think there's going to be more opportunity? Obviously, you mentioned single A for the Sox. You mentioned uh, the Poodles Padres double A team. Do you think that there's going to be way more opportunity in minor league baseball as opposed to hockey or any other sport? Minor league hockey and minor league baseball are traditionally the two sports that give you the most opportunities because there's so many leagues, so many affiliates. So, yeah, when you look at it that way, typically that's going to be the case. There are only so many Division I college broadcasting jobs that open up every summer. There are only so many NBA teams and NFL teams that open up their doors. So the minor league level are most frequently associated as the levels that you get your break in. You get your first real chance of college in that level. That's where you get starts. So doing that probably going to have to start learning how to do other things too and start learning how to be a team player instead of me, me, the individual. This is what I want to do. It's a really quick way for you to learn how to work as a unit instead of as an individual. Do you have any experience in sales? Because I feel like every like professional broadcaster that uh, our school set up for us to talk to or whether it's an interview, they all had experience in sales when it came to like minor league baseball or minor league hockey. You mentioned wearing multiple different hats. Do you have any experience in sales? Well, Jack, this is, this is something that I tell everybody who asks, what, what do you do outside of the broadcasting? What do you do to make sure that you're in a good position to advance yourself? Yeah. You and I, we're selling ourselves to employers. So I haven't done any actual marketing sales or uh, any ticket sales, front office sales. But in a sense, we're selling in ourselves. We have to sell our brand and our work to people who are in a hiring position. When you get that question in an interview, Jack, why should I hire you to be the broadcaster of the Gwinnett Stripers or the uh, Biloxi shuckers. Why should I hire you? When you explain why you should hire you, you're selling you to the employer. So that's the biggest advice I can give you. Learn how to market yourself and sell yourself. So in that sense, I haven't sold any actual big time sales, any marketing sales, but I sell myself every day, whether it be emailing somebody asking for a critique or trying to get more opportunities to where I'm in now. You're selling yourself, and that's something that you have to realize. When you sell yourself, you're advancing yourself. That's another great answer. Who do you think would be one of your, um, I guess, in the sports world, who would be a dream interview for you? Obviously, you mentioned big hockey fan, big baseball fan. Who would be your go-to guy if you could interview anybody down on the field or even in podcast form? Well, Tom Brady would be somebody that would be someone who would have a lot to say. The guy's been around for as long as I've been alive in the NFL. Albert Pujols, not only from what he's done on the diamond, but his philanthropy efforts, what he does away from the field, what he's done for kids who are impoverished in his home country of the DR, kids who have Down syndrome in the the United States. Just a lot of people who have stories outside of what they're known for. Similar to how you and I... We're most likely not going to want to be known solely for what we do as a profession, but what we do outside of what we do. There's a difference between being good at what you do and being a subpar human to being outstanding at what you do and being as good, if not better, from away from your profession to help out what you do in the community. Because in a sense... For the people that have helped you get to where you are or where you want to be, they're 
performing act of kindness. And when I said, ask it on what you can to people who might not have as many opportunities or people who might not be as fortunate as you are in your given moment. Now, in that sense, in your experiences from people that you've met that you kind of idolized growing up, have you ran into anybody that was just not who you thought they were as a human being? Like they could be, as you mentioned, like one of the greatest professionals at what they do in their industry, but they're not necessarily the nicest person. Have you had any of those experiences to this point? Because I feel like most people that I've met in the sports broadcasting industry, at least, have kind of lived up to their reputation in a way. But for you, have you had any bad experiences? Well, I've had a couple for the sake of confidentiality. I'm not going to name drop anybody, but everybody's going to have a couple down the road. It just goes with, uh, goes with the times. You're not going to meet 100% of great people and 100% of professionals. There are going to be a couple bad eggs that you meet along the way, but it's about what you do to make sure that you uphold your core values and you can do the better yourself and the people that you're working with instead of focusing on the negatives that somebody else might be bringing to the table. So my last question for you, I don't want to take too much of your time here, but uh, how, I got two more questions. First off, does, is, are the rumors true in Alaska, like the sun never goes down during the summer? Because I've heard that from multiple people. We are, we are at the point in the year where the sun is starting to go down at normal time. Our sunset yesterday was around 10 o'clock, I think, 9, 10 o'clock. In the summer from May to late July, yeah, the sun doesn't really go down. You'll get the sunset around 1 a.m. if you're watching a cloudless day. It's, it's great, man. I always recommend it to people. If you can come to Alaska in the summer, come in the summer. It's, it's the closest thing to heaven you will get on Earth, in my opinion, so the summers are the summers are great. It's not too hot, not too cold. I've always enjoyed it. But then again, I've spent my last five summers calling baseball, so I wouldn't exactly know what to do if I was um, just going around doing stuff that would be involving work. Again, unfortunately, it's the one summer that I'm not working. But again, it's the one summer that we can't really do anything because we're all cooped up inside. Now, given that you broadcasted. Uh in the Alaska league for so many years, were there any players? Like, did you get any players takes on how they liked that atmosphere over the course of the summer? Cause I feel like during the grind of that summer season, it's gotta be pretty halting uh, given that again, you don't really like, if you lose track of time, I mean, nobody's going to lose track of time given everybody's got an iPhone or an Android or whatever. But if you lose track of time, like there's really no sense of telling time over the summer. Right? No, it's, it's, it's funny how some of them say, does the sun ever set here? Why do we start games at 7 o'clock when this is usually when we end games? But yeah. now it's taken away from the experience that you have in front of you, and that's something I've been blessed to have had over four years. And uh, most of the people I've talked to are in awe of their experience and enjoy their experience because of what they were able to do that they're probably never going to have a chance to do it again unless they are able to come back for another year. That's interesting. So here's my last question for you. Obviously, you said since the get-go, the beginning of basically your life, five years old, um, you wanted, you were set on being a play-by-play voice for somebody. You've had four years of experience, again, post-grad from the University of Indiana. You had a couple of jobs lined up in minor league baseball. What, what's your main goal if you have one? You mentioned being a, a national broadcaster, obviously, for a, a national network. Uh, what, what's your main goal and what's the one thing that's inspired you the most to kind of keep pushing forward as a play-by-play voice? Main goal for me is just going through with something that you sought out to chase after when I started. When I started, I never had the intention of being mediocre. No one should and no one probably has ever had the idea of, I want to do this, but I want to be just okay at it. I want to be okay. I want to have a job and I want to pay the bills. For me, the money is never going to be great when you start out. The money is going to get good when you get up the ladder, but the money's never been the thing for me. I always wanted to do what I'm doing now because it's a passion. I've always wanted to go on the play-by-play because I enjoy the art. I enjoy the craft. I love being around the game, and I love the fact that even though I can't play the game, I'm still in the sport and I'm still doing what I can to show people how much I enjoy the sport. And the greatest thing for me is if 
some kid somewhere, whether it's Alaska, Arizona, Indiana, they watch one of my broadcasts, listen to one of my calls and say, you know what? This seems fun. I want to do that when I grow up. I want to do that when I go to college and I want to pursue that. For me, the goal is to inspire as many people to chase what they want to do. And in the broadcast world specifically, to show how much fun you can have chasing after your dreams. There's never been a time where I have thought, is this really worth it? Is this ever going to pay off? If you have thoughts like that, then you're already letting yourself set up, be set up for failure. So for me, it's always chase after what you want and be good at it. Be great at what you want to do. Never settle for mediocrity and always aim higher because you never know what higher is going to get you. Well, well put, man. I, I, I threw questions at you, answered every single one of them in the most professional and quite fr- frankly, most entertaining way. I still can't believe you don't eat 18 hours before a broadcast. I mean, that's still just stunning to me. Again, like I'm about to go eat another steak right now because I mentioned about halfway through, I was getting a little hangry after uh, eating a 24-ounce steak like an hour ago. But uh, Casey Roll, thanks so much for taking time out of your day, man. Your day's just getting started, too. Isn't it like 2 o'clock? Was it a four-hour difference? (laughs) My day's basically over. 2 o'clock on the dot. I am so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's only going to break up with you. He's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.